Today is May 24th, and you're listening to Episode 2 of Now Consider This, the podcast that brings you the Bible, current events, and everything else through the lens of Christ. Today we're talking about dispensationalism and the U.S. Embassy move to Jerusalem. Get your beer or your root beer and buckle in, because the show begins in one minute, starting now. Do you believe the Bible is basically about you or basically about him? And so Moses should be read through the lens of Christ. The prophets should be read through the lens of Christ. The whole Bible should be read through the lens of Christ. But the whole world should be seen through the lens of Christ. But Jesus makes clear in this passage that Moses had set his hope upon Christ. Let's see how the Christian worldview responds to these same issues. Let's see how the supremacy of Christ can be applied to life's ultimate questions. To the questions of who am I and why am I here and what is wrong with the world and how can what is wrong be made right? He's the real Passover lamb. He's he's the true temple, the true prophet, the true priest, the true king, the true sacrifice, the true lamb, the true light, the true bread. The Bible's not about you. Hello and welcome. I'm your host, Louis Lyons. I'm joined here by our other host, Jonathan Jackson. Yo. How's it going, Jonathan? It's good. It's how you good. how you been? It's been a good day. You know, I spent a lot of time with family today, you know, had a good time and then rested. Rested. Excellent, excellent. You off work tomorrow? Yes. Good. Um, yes, I'm off tomorrow. Memorial sort of Memorial Day. Moment of silence for those who gave that life. All right. And uh what else we got going on? Oh, we are not joined. We're not joined by the razor. He had to cut out. <laughs> that, yeah. that was pretty sharp, Jonathan. Yeah. The razor did have to cut out. What, Jonathan, why don't you tell him why, why Tom's not here? Well, <clears throat> if I may, you know what I mean? Like, uh, Tom's wife, our sister, Ashley, gave birth to a beautiful baby girl yesterday. Um, Lydia Grace Schick, the little razor. Um was born yesterday at 6.30 p.m. Seven pounds. 12 ounces, 20 inches long. All right. And, uh, congratulations to Tom. Congratulations, and Tom and Ashley. A blessing added to the family. Amen. We uh, are extending the, the, the reach of uh, the gospel here through natural natural birth. <laughs> Shout out to the chicks. Amen, amen. Mama's healthy, baby's healthy, uh, daddy's happy, proud as could be, and uh, they're doing great. We look forward to having Tom back on the show with us here shortly in the future. But tonight, uh, we are without the razor. We had to cut him out, y'all. All right, Jonathan, what do we got on tap for tonight? What are we talking about? Yeah, we're going to talk about dispensationalism today. We're going to talk about uh, its errors. What does it mean? I'm also going to talk about the practical things regarding dispensationalism. So uh, let's jump into it. All right. So, so being that this podcast is a podcast that is is seeking to deliver views and news and and Bible and Scripture interpretation via a a new covenant theology hermeneutic uh, 
thought we'd go ahead and, and talk about the other hermeneutics that are out there and and why we don't agree with those particular hermeneutics, those ways of understanding the Bible. So we, of course, are NCT. We're first up to bat this evening. We're going to be talking about dispensationalism. Dispies. Now, what's interesting is I would say the majority of Christians uh, in America, I'm not sure about the world, but I would even America. venture to say because of our influence as Americans to, to influence Christianity around the world, I would say even around the world probably, dispensationalism is, is the most popular yeah. hermeneutic. I, uh, uh, ironically, I maybe recently in the last year, I heard a sermon from MacArthur, who is himself a dispensationalist, um, talk about it. He went overseas to a foreign nation. I can't remember exactly which one, but he said that he sat down, he was teaching them, and they responded to him saying, we believe the same thing you believe from just the reading of the Bible. And I thought that was really um, interesting. Um, considering that the Bible doesn't necessarily teach that, yeah, so, yeah, yeah, it was it was different, y'all. It was different. So, so this is the the most widely accepted uh, hermeneutic and belief and system and way to understand the Scripture in the world, probably, but most definitely in the United States. Yeah, definitely. And what's what I, what I find really interesting is that I grew up dispensationalist. I grew up in a dispensationalist church. I grew up believing just about everything dispensational, but I never heard the word dispensational. Interesting. I never even knew what that was. Yeah. um, As far as for me, I didn't hear it till later on, but I remember being a kid or being an older gentleman in my 20s watching TBN's Left Behind movies. They were very interesting. They were were entertaining. Kirk Cameron, Um, yes, sir. Kirk Cameron, definitely. That's where I I remember seeing him in those movies and um, hearing about the rapture and hearing about um, the tribulation, but never really um, studied it for myself until recently, I'd say in the last five years probably. Well, I got you beat because I I watched some old, old Left Behind movies. Really? Like, yes. Yeah, like corny, low quality, really ah. just really bad yo, Left crazy. Behind movies. Oh, yo, that's crazy. Yeah, it was like a series, I think. We watched I watched I remember watching several different ones. Oh really? Well you know what? Actually I think about it. I um in our possession as a kid I lived so I lived in California for like seven months. Um I lived with my grandmother. And there was a comic book by Hal Lindsey called There's a New World Coming. And I read that comic book and was like, wow. And so I was like, this was like I was like 11, 12. Um, and, man, it was crazy because it talked about a lot of things that were were just pretty based off of a, a dispensational um, hermeneutic. And I believed it at that time. And I thought it was really strange that, you know, this breastplate of iron and this chopper, you know, just a metal. Mm-hmm. Like, it was really, really, like, different. It was crazy. Um, but I believed it. And, of course, it's a comic book. And who's, who doesn't like a comic book, you know? Yeah, of course. So it was interesting. Comic books and theology? <laughs> That'd be a good idea for New Covenant Theology. I just want to throw that out there just ahead of time. Yeah, let's do that. If, if there are any of you guys out there, or girls, yeah. who uh, who know how to draw and write, let's let's do some New Covenant uh Comic books. books. I think that'd be a great idea. It's a good good way to teach the next generation. 
So, yeah, so anyway, uh, let, let me just lay this out to begin with. Okay. When, when we're talking about hermeneutics and, and understanding the Bible, there's, there's, since the very, very beginning of, of the birth of the church, there has been confusion from people who have, been, have become Christians when they look at the Old Testament especially and they compare it to the New Testament and you see things that contradict one another. And you have to try to, try to start to figure out how do these two things fit together as one whole Bible if there's contradictions where in, in the Old Testament you see that you cannot wear fabric that's made up of two different materials. But in the New, in the New Testament, there's no such thing. We, we, I, I wear blends. I wear cotton polyester blends all the time. Unless you're allergic. I eat bacon. I eat bacon. bacon I, I love bacon. pretty good. Bacon is delicious. I love bacon. Yeah. Anyway, so, so when, you, when you start looking at the differences between the two, you have to, you have to start trying to, to figure out how do we put this together? How do we make it work? How does it fit? How does it un- how does it unfold? How it's it's a, a definitely it, it's it's discuss a discussion of the revelation of God over time, and and of course there are different camps and different teachings and dispensationalism has a different way of doing that. Um, so I think when discussing that we want to understand how is the Bible interpreted, how is the revelation of God unfolded over time in. Um, uh, history in, in in history. So right. I think that's so, super important. So 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 what what men have done is they've they've sat down with their Bibles and they've tried to come up with a way to understand it, a way to, to work it out and to, to work out the problems in a way that makes sense. And dispensationalism is probably the newest uh, one on the block, the newest way of, of trying to put the scripture together. Um, wasn't developed or really brought out until after the 1830s. And so when when we're looking at dispensationalism, what we're looking at is, is the way that theologians, uh, Christians, have tried to understand the Bible and make sense of it. And and here's here's what dispensationalists have done. These these men have sat down, and they said, when we read the Bible, we see that there seem to be seven major time periods, and we will call them dispensations. There's seven major dispensations from the from the creation of Adam and Eve to the end of the world. We see in the Bible that God has has developed or created, appointed seven different specific periods of time. So, now, now to be clear, not every dispensationalist agrees that there are seven. Right. Some might say there's more. There's one person that said there's nine. So some might say there's less. Yeah. The number's or not others. really. Yeah. yeah. The number's not really that important from my perspective. Right. Whether however many you come up with, I I just yeah. think. I just think that coming up with these dispensations is a wrong way to look at it. 
Well, they, they base it off of the, the New Testament Greek word for dispensation, and this word is used multiple times in the New Testament. You know, Luke 16, 1 Corinthians 9, Ephesians 3, Colossians 1, and they're saying it's a particular way of God administering his rule over the world as he progressively works out his purpose for world history. And so that's how they uh, explain dispensation um, as mentioned in Scripture. So um comes from a Greek word, oikonomia, law, law of the house. Um, and so it can be translated dispensation or stewardship. Right, right. And so, and so here's, here's the major dispensations, the, the seven major ones as, as the majority of dispensationalists play them out. One is the age of innocence. And this is Adam and Eve in the garden, an age of innocence, right? And then that age comes to an end, we know. And then you have the age of conscience where men simply kind of live their lives. Cain was supposed to, uh, by way of conscience, know that he wasn't supposed to kill his brother. Um, and, and you just have everyone living according to their own conscience. That's the second dispensation. Then you get uh, the third dispensation, human government. And this is where um, you're, you're not being led or ruled by your conscience, but by men in, in official uh, governments created by God to rule over men. Then you get uh, the dispensation of promise. This is with Abraham and, and following. Then you have the dispensation of law. This is from the time of Moses and on. Then you have the, the sixth dispensation, which is the grace of the church age, which and, and, began on the, after the ascension of Christ on the day of Pentecost with the salvation of Jewish people. And spreading this, through Gentile world and spreading through Gentile world. And, and they say that this is the dispensation that we're in right, right. right now. Right. We're in the age of grace or the church age, what they say. Okay. And, and so this age of grace is going to come to an end. This dispensation right. of grace will come to an end. With the rapture of the church. With the rapture. So that right. so when the church <clears throat> gets raptured and secretly, and then I think it's important for us to, to distinguish secret rapture. Yeah. That there's this that's sec- talked about a lot. secret rapture. And this is where the Left Behind movies come in. Yes. That the secret rapture takes place. Christians disappear from the face of the earth. Right. The age of grace is over. Right. And this is based on First Corinthians. I mean, First Thessalonians four, um, where they get this from. Where where dispensationalists get this from is from First Thessalonians four, um, a secret rapture where just out of nowhere, you know, God snatches away the church to to heaven, and and Israel is left to suffer through the tribulation. Which is definitely um, what they believe, and right. So, so once the the secret rapture happen, happens and the church is taken out of the world, that begins the final, the seventh and final dispensation, right. which is the dispensation the of the kingdom age, the kingdom. Right. And this is so. So what what's supposed to happen is the church leaves the world, age of grace comes to an end, right. Jesus returns, Christians. Some believe, depending on, on where they stand, that Christians are going to return with him. Some believe that Christ will return and reign just with Israel. But however however you play it out, Christ is returning after seven years. So the church disappears. Right. There's a seven-year tribulation. Seven years later. 
Three and three and a half, three and a half of those years are good, and then the other three and a half are just terrible. Where the uh, Israelites are being persecuted by the Antichrist and um, and and Satan, and they are you know hunted down, um, and then Christ comes back um, for the second coming, um, crushes his opponents, and rules in the millennial kingdom on earth. For this is a thousand year reign of Jesus Christ. Earthly. This is an earthly reign of the millennial kingdom. Right. So, so Jesus crushes all evildoers. He reigns from Jerusalem. Right. Right. And uh, the the earth is a beautiful, beautiful, wonderful utopia like place because Jesus is finally king, and things are good. And this is this is Israel being, and and the, these are Jewish. Descendants of Abraham, living right. in Israel, right. being exalted over all the rest of the nations, over all the earth, as they are God's chosen people. Right, right. This is a culmination of the promise given to Israel in the Old Testament, and all of the nations will serve them. Right. right. So, so you have this age of the kingdom where Israel is the preeminent nation, the preeminent kingdom of the earth, and they have the preeminent king, Jesus Christ himself, reigning on the throne in Jerusalem. Right. Now, those are the seven dispensations. And quite frankly, dispensationalists are not too concerned about what type of dispensation Abraham was living in or what type of dispensation Cain was living in. This dispensation of conscience, this dispensation of promise, really wasn't, it really isn't a big deal to them. Their focus is on the dispensation, Even I would even say that the dispensation of grace that we're in now is not that big a deal to them. That they're waiting on the dispensation of the kingdom. That the they, future they're, age. They're wait, right. 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 So one of the things I heard that John MacArthur said when he explained it is that there are promises that need to be fulfilled in uh, for, for Israel, that the promises God made to them will be fulfilled. And I think that's the viewpoint, that this is God's special people and that God made promises to them, so he has to keep them um, and that the church is gone and God has to make sure that he keeps his promise. Right, and, and, and that's one of the, the major errors of dispensationalism, in my opinion, is when they look at the Old Testament, they want to read it literally. And so when they see a promise made to Israel, they believe that God has to keep this promise to the physical descendants of Abraham, right. that, that these promises have to be kept. One, one of the things that was ironic in listening to an explanation, uh, one particular um uh, leading proponent of this uh, of dispensationalism said, and pretty much asked the question. So all the curses that were given to Israel, they suffered through, and now you're telling me that the church gets to receive the blessings, you know? And so um, that was that was that was his particular like question to throw back at those who do not believe in dispensationalism, and I mean that's worth a thought, but. I would definitely think that God made promises, but we know that there's a there's a promise made in Christ, right? Second Corinthians chapter one verse twenty says that for every one of God's promises, yes, in Him, 
Christ is the prom- Christ is the one that we have the promises made in. He's the He's the faithful Israel. Right, and that's what I would say is that the promises were made to the to those who could be faithful to the covenant. Right. If you're faithful to the covenant, the promises are yours. Right. But as we know, who was faithful to the Mosaic covenant? Nobody. Well, one one buddy. There was one buddy. One buddy. One, and that's why what that's you just why. read in First Corinthians right. says what? All the promises what? are yes in him, yes. All the promises belong to who? To him. And we being united with him as right. his bride. Galatians because three. the two shall yeah. become one. Right. The, the, the groom and the bride are one. Right. Which is why when, when, when Jesus sees Paul on the road to Damascus, he says, Paul, Paul, or Saul, Saul, yeah. why Paul are you persecuting, persecuting me? me? Right. Right. Uh, right. Uh, Acts chapter 9 discusses that. But also, one thing to think about is if Christ or, or God right, had a bride, then we know that there's one bride. He doesn't have two. There's there's, there's a distinction that uh, dispensationalists make between Israel and the church. Well, New Covenant theologians don't make that distinction. Of course, um, one of the errors is discontinuity that um, dispensationalism uh, practices. There's a discontinuity between uh, the old and the new in that the promises made are, are made to physical Israel. And that's right. And and that's one of the, the major pillars of dispensationalism. And, and I think the two major pillars are this literal interpretation right. of the promises. Yeah. And then the second one is there's a difference between the church, which is going to get raptured out here, and right. Israel, that God has for himself two distinct sets of people, right. which ends up being two distinct brides. And and that for me is very problematic with dispensational. Yeah. If the church gets got two wives. Yeah, if, if the church leaves and is out of here and then Jesus comes to be with his other wife. Then Jesus isn't faithful. Right, exactly. Right. And That's and, and so 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 let me give you an example of the way that a dispensationalism reads Old Testament scripture. Okay. And this is Amos chapter 9. Yeah, Amos chapter 9, verses 11 to 15. You, you're already on it, John. I, I should have known. <laughs> I should have known. You, you, you're on top of everything. All right. So Amos chapter 9, verse right. 11. Let's just read it and, and think about what Amos is prophesying and what he's promising will happen. Beginning of verse 11, he says, In that day I will raise up the booth of David that is fallen, and I will repair its breaches, and I will raise up its ruins, and I will rebuild it as in the days of old. The great kingdom of David, the great Israel that, that, that was so blessed and prosperous and, and uh, defeating all his enemies as David was so victorious, right? That, that he will rebuild it as the days of old, and they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations who are called by my name, declares the Lord, who does this. And so you read a promise like that, mm-hmm. that, that God is going to raise up the booth of David that, ha- yeah. David that has fallen. Yeah. He's going to restore Israel once again to its former glory. Well, if you read that, Jonathan, who's he making that promise to? Um, so if you look at that right from there, right, at Amos, right, you're thinking that's Israel. 
Yeah, it isn't that, that is just, just a, a, a simple reading with no like influence. Just reading that, just plain as day. Oh, he's probably talking about Israel. Absolutely. Um, and and the reason why I said it because I remember that was one of the the passages I saw. I was like, oh, the you know like the new covenant hermeneutic is the the new interprets the old, right? The new the new interprets the old. It brings to light what was in the old, like it interprets that. And so seeing where it came from. And what it actually interprets to be, um, I'm re- I realized like, oh wow, this is amazing. So so obviously the the prophet Amos is prophesying that Israel will once again be restored as right. a nation yeah. and receive its former glory, just mm-hmm. as in the days of so so we ought to be supporting Israel and promoting Israel and and helping Israel to become a great nation because that that's what God is promising to do, right, John? Yes, until we get to the New Testament. Oh, wait. Hold on. There's there's more? Of course. <laughs> but wait, there's more. There's more. Uh, well, let's 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 look at it. What yeah, what, what New 15, Testament? 15 verses 15 to 18. Uh just for background, uh what took place is the there was a Jerusalem council. Uh the leaders of the church, the apostles, had an issue that some of the Gentiles got saved and the Jews wanted those Gentiles to, to follow the law. Uh, of course, James and, and Peter and the brothers there were like, no, this is not going to happen. But what, it, what, they decide, what they explained was, hey, this is fulfillment of prophecy. And, of course, they said in Acts chapter 15, verse 15 to 18, And the words of the prophets agree with this as it is written. After these things, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. I will rebuild its ruins and set it up again. So the rest of humanity may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, declares the Lord, who makes these things uh, known from long ago. And so that is the fulfillment of prophecy. And that's also an example of the New New Covenant hermeneutic of the New Testament interpreting the old. Okay, so you have you have the the Council of Jerusalem, and they're trying. All these uh, apostles and disciples and and early church fathers are who are Jews, right? Are all gathered right to answer the question: What are we going to do about all these Gentiles who got saved? Yeah, like, what, what, yeah what we, what we do with that? Like, like who they fo- who are they going to follow? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What what, what are we going to do with them? Like, yeah. Do we put them under the law of Moses? What do we do? And and in during the argument of what they're going to do with these guys, James jumps up and James says, "Brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for His name. Yeah. And with this, the words of the prophets agree. So so here he goes. He's just said." That God was going to bring Gentiles in and start saving Gentiles. And he says, in fact, the prophets prophesied about this, that this would happen. And then what prophecy does he quote? Amos chapter 9, verses 11 to 15. So when we read Amos chapter 9, we see Amos talking about the nation of Israel. He's looking forward. When James reads Amos 9, he saw Amos talking about the salvation of the Gentiles right. coming, coming into in. right. the glorious kingdom of God and becoming God's people. Right, right. So he sees God's kingdom as something different. He sees the, the rebuilding of the booth of David as something different. 
Right. I think that it it highlights the fact that one of the, another area is, or which we discussed earlier, is their literal, grammatical, historical, hermeneutic. Right. They see it as in they most dispensationalists will say we interpret the Bible literally. Right. But, but James those, isn't right, James isn't interpreting the yeah, Bible not, literally. Right. And in fact. And, and we don't have the time to go through them all, but yeah. this is just one example of many. One of many, yes. When you look at how the apostles and the disciples and, and throughout the New Testament, right. how they interpret the, New, the Old Testament right. is different. Right. They don't do it literally. Right. So the, the question is, if they're not interpreting it literally, then why should I come along and say we have to interpret it literally? Well, because the, one of the one of the accusations is that those who do not interpret it literally uh, spiritualize the text. But the problem is not all the Bible is literal, right? You have you have figurative uh, uh, examples in Scripture. You got the Book of Proverbs. You got the Book of Revelation, which is a book of symbols. You've got. Um, different places where there are, are are not always literal. Like how do you how do you you know reconcile? For example, what we just interpreted uh, Amos nine and Acts fifteen. Mm-hmm. You, you you have to you if you look at it, it explains itself. The New Testament uh, it interprets the old. Right, and and so what dispensationalists will say is, if the plain sense makes sense. Seek no other sense. Right. So in other words, if the plain reading of Amos 9 mm-hmm. makes plain sense that he's talking about Israel, mm-hmm. there's no need to take that as a figure of speech. He's talking about Israel. It's plain to see. So therefore, since the plain reading makes sense, don't seek any other sense. And that's that's their motto. If the plain sense makes sense, seek no other sense. Mm-hmm. But that's not what James does mm-hmm. in Acts chapter 15. No, that's not what he does. And that's not what any of the disciples and apostles do throughout the New Testament. They don't read it like that. And so when I, when I look at the way that they're looking at the Old Testament and the way that they're applying it and understanding it, and I see that it's not in a dispensational way, it's not in a literal way, then I have to stop and say, wait, why am I going to start reading the Old Testament in a way that's different mm-hmm. than the way the apostles did? Mm-hmm. That's, that seems dangerous to me. But I've even heard a dispensationalist pastor here in Houston. I was, I was listening to the radio. I flipped on the radio in the car one night. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's a pastor here in Houston. He's got his own uh, radio show. and He said dispensationalists are the only people who can claim that they believe the Bible. The only Christians who can claim they believe the Bible are the dispensationalists. The reason he said that is because what he's saying is, when I read the Old Testament, I take it literally and I believe it literally. Right, right. That this this literally means the nation of Israel, even though, according to the apostles, they don't read it that way. Right, they don't. I mean, another person, um, uh, David Levy, said this, it is my conviction that the dispensational approach to the study of God's word is the only position one can hold in order to grasp the overall correct teaching of scripture and the prophecy presented therein. Um, we here at, uh, now consider this, uh, strongly disagree with that. Um, yeah. That is not, um, uh, the only position to approach the study of the word of God. And we believe that it's the incorrect approach. Um, to hold to that and believe that that's the correct teaching of Scripture because we I, we don't 
think that we see that the word of God unfolds before us and that we get we get our uh, interpretation from the New Testament making light of the old. And of course, again, um, the new covenant hermeneutic is that all of it points to Jesus. It is to be Christ-centered, not centered on Israel. That's right. Um, and so I think that's a huge, huge point. If if Christ is the center of interpretation or is, is the one that we're looking for, or the one who who's being unfolded, um, then that's who we, that's what we we look for that we are, we un, make an understanding that Christ is the one it is, it is a Christ centered hermeneutic that is most important you see everything through the lens of Jesus right and if you're waiting for the the dispensation of the kingdom to come right then your eyes need to be on Israel and right. know what's happening with Israel right. and what's going on in Israel right. and what's happening yeah. with the nation of Israel yeah. because that's going to clue us in or, on yeah. when that when the kingdom is coming when Jesus is coming because it's about Israel right, right? and so you begin to view the world and view your your Bible interpretation through the lens of, of Israel. what's going on with Israel, right. the literal nation of Israel. Right. The, the ethnic Israelites, the, um, the uh, physical ethnic group of Israel. Right. And I saw a meme on, on Facebook a couple of weeks ago. A dispensationalist was drawing a timeline on the whiteboard as he's teaching. And his focal points throughout his teaching were... Uh, in the in the year seventy, uh, we know that Israel was completely demolished. The temple was demolished. Jerusalem was demolished, and, and Israel was spread out. Right, and the focal point throughout history so far has been that day in AD seventy, and then the other focal point has been nineteen forty eight when Israel came back. State. Yeah, they came back right. into the land, and the meme said something to this effect. It said. Dispensationalists don't focus on the death and resurrection of Christ. They focus on the death and resurrection of Israel. Ooh. And it, 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 yeah, that was it, it kind of hurt me yeah. a little bit. <laughs> yeah, it was like, oh man, that's tough. Yeah, when you know, you know, when you see someone like twist their ankle or fall wrong yeah. or something, you just kind of like, oh, ow, that you know, kind of hurts you. Yeah, you kind of just scratch your face. Yeah, up like, a little bit. like I'm not dispensationalist, but that that kind of hurt me a little bit because just just for their for their sake, you know, I was mm-hmm. like, ooh, ow. ouch. Yeah, that, that was. Put a band-aid on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But applied directly to the burn. Anyway, so when when dispensationalists are reading through the scriptures, they're they're seeing things uh, not through a Christocentric lens, right? But they're seeing things through an, uh, an ethnic, is, yeah, an, a, a Jewish lens, a, a, a nation of Israel right. lens. I think the thing that's missing is that God has made one man. And because God has made one man in Christ, according to Ephesians chapter 2, then God has this one group of people that he loves. And that's all people who have been who have been chosen to be saved by God. And so you do not have this distinction or this, this separation of groups of people. Um, it's super important to know that, that, that according to places like... Ephesians 2, um, that God has made one man, um, that God is God has one wife, um, and super important. So I think we want to also remember that that um, it, it kind of sounds like that the church is the second class citizens, and that it's not. Um, God has one group. Are Jews going to be saved? Yes. Yeah, absolutely, and and 
Paul makes that argument, right, in, in Romans 9 yeah. through 11, that Romans 9 hey, through 11. God hasn't turned his back on Israel. He hasn't turned his back on the right. Jews. Right. He's God, you know, God's still saving. God is still saving still Jews. Still in the saving business, folks. Yeah, absolutely, of, of all nations, right? Yeah. Revelation 5, all nations, all tribe, nations. tongue, and nation. Exactly. They all ain't going to be, you know, what, ethnic and, Israel. But. What, what evidence does Paul give? That God hasn't turned his back on Israel. Revelation 9. People still getting saved. And who does he point to? Himself. Himself. I'm He's the like, chief of sinners. Exactly. Like, yeah. you, you want proof that God hasn't turned his back on the nation of Israel? Look at me. Look at me. I'm an Israelite. Right. And he saved me. Right. So I'm, I'm living, breathing proof. God hasn't turned his back on and, Israel. And, and again, we're reminded that Jesus is the faithful Israelite. All of things are in him. And if we believe in him by faith and are saved, then we are Israelites too. And so you don't want to miss that. Um, um, it's, uh, it's very, very important to know that. Um, that that's what, that's what God had in mind. That was his plan to make one group of people... Um, and them to be uh, children of faith. And those who are children of Abraham are those children of faith. And and the promise was made to Abraham, one person, an offspring. Galatians 3 says there's an offspring. The offspring is Jesus Christ. And if Jesus Christ is the offspring and our faith is in Abraham, we are children of promise and we are, we are Israelites. Mm-hmm. We are not two separate groups, but one. That's right. But, but if you're dispensational... And, and when I say dispensational, I'm talking historical, classical dispensational. Yeah, we have to make distinctions. Yeah, there's different groups of dispensationalists. Right. So they're, they're going to see in Timothy where Paul says, rightly dividing the, the word, word of truth. truth. Right. right. And they, they take that literally. And they yeah, say, they we do. need to divide uh, the yeah. Bible into those texts that belong to the Jews and those texts that belong to the church. And so when you read a book such as... Uh, James or First Peter, something like that, where Peter Peter says, who, who does he address his book to in First Peter? The scattered believers. To the scattered Israelites, right? Right. And so they're going to say, this is, this is written to the Israelites. Right. It's not written to the church. This is not for you, John. You shouldn't be reading the book of First Peter because it wasn't for you. Right. Some of the books that have been... Have... Some some dispensations believe that some of the books of the Bible have been written only for Israelites. The book of Hebrews. Right. Are you are you a Hebrew, John? Yeah, I think so. (laughs) You don't look like a Hebrew. You know what? In this day and age, we don't know. Right. Exactly. There's some people saying that they're Israelites, but that's a whole other discussion for a whole other show. That's a different topic altogether. Stay tuned. (laughs) And that's and, and. those are the black Hebrew Israelites, right? right? Yes. We'll, we'll talk about those at some point. So, so, so they divide up yeah. the, the the text of Scripture uh, into those which belong to Jews and those which don't. So, even right. even some dispensationalists have said that the the Sermon on the Mount was for Israel. That's not that's not for you, John. Right? You can't obey right. that teaching. That's right. only for Israel right. in the age of the kingdom. And, 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 and again, that's not all of the, of what dispensation, and that's not all dispensations who, right, dispensationalists well, who believe that. Right, and, there but, are some, though. Right. And, and we'll talk next week about a type of dispensationalism called progressive dispensationalism, which is going to go ahead and start denying those sorts of crazy working out of, mm-hmm, of mm-hmm, what dispensationalism mm-hmm. Kind of put forth. Mm-hmm. They're they're wanting to move away from those errors, but historical classical dispensationalism wants to literally divide the the Bible up into subsections: those which were meant for Christians and those which were meant for Jews. Right. 
and and anyway, so because if if you're dividing the people of the earth into two different groups, this group of people belongs to God, and then this other group of people belongs to God. God has two different groups of people: the church and then right. the Jews. And there's this there's this plan for both of them. Then you have to divide up the scriptures too. You have to if you're dividing up people, you've got to divide up the scriptures, and and everything starts getting divided into two, and you end up. And this is a, one of the major critiques of dispensationalism: is you end up not only dividing the people into two, you end up dividing into two different gospels. Some yeah. some have been some um, at case have been leveled at that. Some people have said um, have that's one issue that some people have thought that that would pose um, that you know if you have two different uh, peoples of uh, people groups, and then you also have two ways of people being saved. Um, so, uh, that's again, that's not all. Some believe there is one plan of salvation. I'm not sure how they're going to explain that, but um, that is right. that is a viewpoint. Right. So, and and the question is, if if the dispensation of grace began at Pentecost, then how were the Israelites saved before grace came? They didn't live in a dispensation of grace. They lived right. in a dispensation of law. So how it's were they saved? It's an example say? of discontinuity. Right. And so they've divided things up into two when they shouldn't have divided them. Right. And, and, and then you get a, a further problem because once the, the dispensation of grace comes to an end, now what happens after that? Because then you go back. You, the grace is gone. And now you go back to the law. Because what, they're, what they teach right. is, is that, that old, the old covenant law that Jesus has fulfilled and is now gone. Amen. Praise Amen. God. Second Corinthians 3. That it, it comes back. Yes. It, it rises from the grave and it comes back. Yeah. And it, in the age of the kingdom, mm-hmm. you have to now live because this is the age of Israel. Right. Israel has to keep the covenant that God gave it, right? To right. receive those promises. They have to be a covenant keeping people. And if they're a covenant keeping people, and I'm talking Mosaic covenant, then you're back under the law. You're back practicing things that that Jesus has fulfilled. Yes. In fact, in Zechariah 13, and this is a, a sticking point that I that I often mm-hmm. point out to dispensationalists. Okay, okay. Zechariah prophesies that the day will come when the nations that do not observe the festival of booths, that God will judge them and destroy them if they do not observe this festival. Mm-hmm. But what does Colossians 2 say? Colossians 2 says we don't have to observe those festivals. Right. In fact, Paul says don't let anybody judge you according to those sorts of festivals. Yeah. Yeah. And yet, here we have dispensationalists saying that these laws, these festivals and these laws and these requirements are going to come back again. Right. And God's going to start judging people based on how well they keep them. You're back under law. Right. So, so you displace... The gospel, you, you have to do away with much of the New Testament teaching. You have to do away with Colossians chapter 2. Yeah. You have to do away with Ephesians. You have to do away with Galatians. You have to do away with so many different teachings throughout the New Testament in order to make way for the old covenant to, to come back and to, to take effect again in the dispensation of the kingdom. And that's a huge problem with, with dispensationalism. In, in, in fact, when they point to Israel in 1948 coming back into the land, is this is God keeping His promises right. to Israel? Right. 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 He's rebuilding the nation. 
there's the excitement around that, that, you know, God is keeping his promise that, that Israel is going back to the land, which was theirs, and um, they'll, this is the beginning of the end. But who does God make the promises to to have the land? Or, or in other words, what do they have to do in order to keep the land? They're supposed to keep the covenant. They have to keep the covenant. In Deuteronomy 4 and right. 5. And in order to keep the covenant, what do they have to do? They have to kick everyone out. They have to slaughter everyone living in their land. Do they not? Facts. So the Palestinians that are living there, they need to push those Palestinians into the sea if they're going to keep that old covenant. Right. Which is what happened. They kicked Which is what, Yeah. Which is kind so, of what they're so doing, the practical, right? The, the, the outworking or the application of... The belief of that theology was we got to kick them out. But they're not doing it well enough, according to the covenant. Oh, of course not. They're, they're oppressing the Palestinian people. Right. They've built walls. They've they've cut them off into the corner. But they're not they're not going far enough, according to the covenant. And and here's the problem: that if Christians want Israel to start keeping their covenant, then Israel's going to have to slaughter the Palestinians and get them out of the land so that they can retake the land that God promised. But here's the problem, John. There's a lot of Palestinians who are Christians. There's a lot of Palestinians who are our brothers and sisters. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of Palestinians who are in Christ. And the problem is if Israel is going to actually be obedient to that covenant, which dispensationalists want them to be, Mm -hmm. they've got to kill Christians. You cannot mix the old covenant with the new. You have to realize that the new covenant has displaced the old. You can't you can't put new wine in old wine skids, John. Right, right. It, it's gonna burst, right? And and that's what happens if you try to employ the old covenant alongside the new. It doesn't work. I mean, but it, I mean again, like the book of Hebrews says that Jesus, those shadows and types Jesus is the fulfillment of, and he's greater than all of So you're going to go back to the lesser? Right, right. You can't go back you to can't. the lesser. You, you, if Jesus has fulfilled the Feast of Booths, yeah. then why would we go back to that? Why would we expect that, that God is going to go back to requiring people to make animal sacrifices? Mm-hmm. If he's the final sacrifice, right. why would we expect God to require people to go back to observe the, the Sabbaths and the Feasts of Booths if he is the fulfillment of those things? Mm-hmm. Why would we expect God to undo what Jesus has done? Right. And that's what dispensationalism puts forth, that the, the dispensation of the kingdom is an undoing of everything Jesus has done. Of course, they're not going to say it like that, and they'll They'll say, well, we're not saying he's undoing what Jesus has done. But that's just because you say he's not undoing it doesn't mean that's not what you're actually saying. Like when you teach that you're going to have to start doing this stuff again, that we don't have to do because of Jesus' fulfillment of it, you're undoing what Jesus done, has done. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, what are some other issues, just really quickly without going into depth, what are some other issues of dispensationalism, some some errors and some problems with it? Um, yeah, so this, um, that earthly reign of Christ, right? Mm-hmm. Right, if you, there, there are different camps or different, um, and this is eschatology or study of the end times, right? Um, the, the, the kingdom of God, right? Um, the kingdom of God and the reign of Christ, right? So uh, the kingdom of God is Christ rule in the believer's hearts, right? You see places like uh, Luke 17. Uh, the kingdom of God is in your midst, 
right? So the believer is saved. Um, the kingdom of God is in the midst of them. It, it, Christ is a ruler and he's a ruler and he's the king now. He rules and reigns from the right hand of God. Um, dispensationalists will say that's not the case. Um, also, uh, Christ ruling for a thousand years. There's this literal, of course, according to the literal historical grammatical uh, hermeneutic, that Christ reigns uh, literally on earth for a thousand years. Um, there are other there are other uh, groups, uh, postmillennialists and amillennialists, who will say, no, that's not the case. So the problem is, if Christ rules and reigns on the earth literally. Where is your proof? Of course, you go to Revelation 20, and it doesn't add up. Right. It doesn't. It doesn't work. Doesn't um, one, you know, one particular thing, as I started studying dispensationalism, as I, as I finally actually was told that what, it, what I believed, like, dude, you hold the dispensationalism, you know? And I'm like, wait, mm-hmm. what? What's that? Yeah. And, and I start studying and, and looking into the different ways of understanding how the Old Testament fits together with the New. One of the things that really jumped out at me was the idea of the rapture, the mm-hmm. secret rapture of yeah. the church? But there's not gonna be no. It's not gonna be a secret though. Like everybody's gonna see it. Yeah, yeah, and, and that's what that's what scripture says, right? Like right. trumpets, lightning, everyone's right. gonna see right. it. It won't like Shout the Bible, archangel. Yeah, that's Bible. not a secret. Like you yeah. just don't. <laughs> you know, I mean, you just don't scream out loud for the whole world to hear, and like you know, like yeah, absolutely, ain't even a whisper. Like you know what I mean? Like, yeah, whole, exactly. Yeah, it's just, yeah, yeah. But anyway, but. But the thing that really jumped out at me is I was looking at First Thessalonians four. Four, right? It says that we're going to be raptured up, right? Caught up with Jesus in the air, and it says to meet him in the air. Him yeah, in the, the air. air. And I was surprised to find out that that word "meet" is the Greek yes. word "apentasis." Right. And "apentasis" doesn't really mean to meet him and go back up to heaven with right. him or be taken into heaven with right. him. Right, right, right. Uh, the biblical use of the word apentasis means that you join someone to to accompany them right. as them. they are arriving. Right. right? Let, let, me, let me just read to you really quick. This is from Acts 28, right? So Paul is on his way to Rome, right? And... The, the other believers hear about it. Like, and he's in chains. He's on his way to Rome in chains, right? And and they hear Paul is coming to Rome. And so the Christians in Rome are excited to be able to see him and lay, mm-hmm. lay eyes on him, yeah, even though yeah, he's in chains. Yeah. And this is Acts twenty eight fifteen, And it says, And from there the brothers heard of us, and they came to meet us, to apantasis us, mm. yeah. as far as the Apiforum, and the three taverns, whom when Paul saw them, he thanked God and took courage. So here's what happened. Paul is arriving in Rome. Mm-hmm. He gets off the boat. These dudes come out to meet him as far as the Appy Forum, which is quite a distance, according to Luke, as he writes in Acts 28. They came They came a long way to meet yeah. and to apentasis him. Yeah. And when they met him, they didn't jump on the boat and go back to Israel with him, did they? No. No, they didn't. They escorted they didn't. him. No, they escorted. And, and that's yeah. that's really the better translation right. of of the word apentasis is to escort, right? right? That we will be caught up in the air to escort Jesus or 
probably more rightly said, he will be escorting us. But we will be caught up in the air to escort him as he comes to our earth. And so what we see in Acts 28 is the disciples come out, they meet Paul, and they escort him, they apentasis him as he comes into Rome. They're coming with him. Paul doesn't turn around and go back. They're coming with him to their home. And that's what's happening in First Thessalonians 4. In fact, every biblical use of the word apentasis has that same meaning. You don't have a turning around and going back with the person. You have the person escorting someone home, escorting them to where you live. And so when we read First Thessalonians 4, we don't see a, a rapture where we're taken out. We see a rapture where we accompany him in to the world. And and that was that was so significant for me to see, wait, there's nowhere in scripture that talks about us being taken out of the world. Because here in First Thessalonians four, the only one that talks about us being taken out of the world and raptured is telling us that we're not leaving, that he's coming and we're meeting him as he comes. Mm-hmm. Now there's another text in in Matthew twenty four, right? As in the days of Noah. Why don't you look at that one real quick? And, and that, that's going to be it for me as far as uh, pointing out what I think are the most significant errors of dispensationalism. If you have something else, you can go ahead and do it. But, but for me, let's just read that passage in Matthew 24 and talk about it real quick. Verse 36 of Matthew 24 says, No one knows, now concerning that day and hour, neither the angels of heaven nor the Son except the Father alone. As the days of Noah were, so the coming of the sin, Son of Man will be. For in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day of Noah, the day Noah boarded the ark. They didn't know until the flood came and swept them all away. This is what, this is the way, the coming of the Son of Man will be. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding grain with a handmill, and one will be taken and one left. Therefore, be alert, since you do not know the day your Lord is coming. I wish we'd all oh, been oh. ready. Do you do you remember that song by? Never by, heard it. You don't. You don't, John. No, no. You don't know that if song. It sounds like that. No, I'm good. You don't. You don't know that song by DC Talk. I didn't. For the record, I didn't grow up listening to DC Talk. Let's just put that out there. <laughs> okay. Sorry, DC Talk fans. If you if you disagree with that you heard, man, look, it's still all love. All right. The, well, let, me, let me lay it out for you then. Okay. You, okay. This is a song. About uh, it's it, it's it's this very passage. It's a song about this very passage. Oh, that, okay, interesting. That, that there's two two men walking up a hill. Mm-hmm. One gets taken, one left standing still. Mm-hmm. And and it goes through this passage, and and it's basically uh, painting a picture for us of the rapture. That Jesus is secretly rapturing people out of the world. One is taken, one is left. And and I because of growing up dispensational, even though I didn't know what it was, uh, I believe that that's what this passage was talking about. This is the rapture, one taken, one left. But that's not what this passage talks about, is it, John? No. What's this passage talking about? That the one actually taken out is the unbeliever, right? You see back in verse uh, 37, as the days of Noah, coming, the coming of the Sunday man will be. For in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying, giving in marriage, until the day of Noah boarded the ark. They didn't know until the flood came and swept them all away. 
So that means that they're gone. So, so who's gone? Not the people in the ark. Right, right. So in the so it will be as in the days of Noah. Who was taken in the days of Noah? The, the unbelievers. The Who was left? The Noah. <laughs> Noah and seven other people. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, so when Jesus is giving this analogy of those who are taken and those who are left, he's saying those who are taken are the unbelievers. And those who are left are the believers. Because the unbelievers are going to be wiped out of this earth. The wrath of God is going to fall upon them. They're going to be destroyed. They're going to be thrown into the pits of hell. And the believers will be left. So when Jesus says, so it will be as it was in days of Noah, that one will be taken and one will be left. He's talking about unbelievers being taken and believers being left. This is not a passage about a secret rapture. This is the opposite of a secret rapture. This is this is the, the evil people get taken out of the world and the righteous people remain just as it was in the days of Noah. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, another verse from that, or another uh, from Adventasis, um, is in the next chapter of Matthew, um, where they talk about coming out to meet him. Right, verse six. In the middle of the night, there was a shout. Here's a groom, come out to meet him. Remember that 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 parable Jesus talked about was being ready for his return, and and what happened was is there were there were people who there were um, the groom was supposed to come. Of course, the groom was pictured as Christ, and there were the the. Uh, Ladies who were coming to meet, or was supposed to wait to meet him. They were supposed to have the lamps ready. Some of them didn't, and it says, come out to meet him, which means they were supposed to go to the groom and escort him back into the house. That's right. So it's, it's a like, like, like the groom wasn't coming to pick up the bride and take off. Right, he wasn't. No, he was coming. The the, the bride comes out to meet him. Right. To appentasis him. Right. And, and what do they both do? They go into the house. They don't right. turn around and cut out. Right. He's he's arriving. Right. She's escorting him into the house as he arrives. That's appentasis. And that's what that's what first Thessalonians 4 says we're gonna do when we're right. when we're caught up in the air. We're gonna appentasis. We're gonna escort Jesus as he comes into our house, yeah. as it were, into our world as he as he arrives. Anyway, what and, and so that's it for me. I I don't see I don't see anywhere in scripture any any inkling of an idea that we're secretly taken out of this world anywhere. So that's that's that was big for me in coming out of dispensationalism. Yeah. And and you know the other things of, of reading the Old Testament in a way that was different than the way the apostles right. read the Old Testament. Right. That was big too. Uh, what else? Um, the the reintroduction of the old covenant right. into the age of the kingdom. That's and doing away with much of the new. Jesus' work in the New Testament and, and contradicting what the New Testament says and contradicting what Jesus taught. Like, you think that day is going to come when teachings of Jesus contradicts his teachings? That doesn't make sense to me. Mm-hmm. So those, those, were, those were huge from, from my standpoint. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. Those are super um, important. Um, again, we, I do want to reiterate that that dispensationalists are our brothers in Christ, um, um, and it's just this uh, interpretation of the scriptures is flat out wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, and and, just, it, and it 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 
it's not just wrong belief, but what we know the that wrong beliefs is wrong too. cause wrong practices, right. right? And so what what you have by a lot of dispensationals is the support, like sending literal Money, yeah, monetary helping, support yeah, and Israel. helping Israel in right. so many different ways to the very people who are killing and persecuting Christians. Right, right. To, they're supporting our enemy. Could you imagine if the the early disciples, you know, like Peter and John are in the temple. The high priest wants to kill them. They decide to whip them and beat them instead. And, and they leave the temple rejoicing that they're counted worthy to suffer like Christ. And they go out and they tell, you know, and they, and, and they tell the others. And it says that they rejoiced, right? And they mm-hmm. praised God. Mm-hmm. And could you imagine if they said, you know, let's take up a collection and let's send it to the temple and to the synagogue and to the high priest and support them and support their ministry and support what they're doing. Yeah, well, that'd be crazy. But that's what dispensationalists are doing today. And they're sending the, money. Yeah, the support for They're Israel supporting is in so many different ways right. the very people who are God's enemies. Right. And, and But they don't believe that. And that's the problem with dispensationalism, yeah, no, right? Yeah. The, these aren't God's enemies. This is God's other set of people. But also, that again, there's, there's this, we believe there's a promise that Israel, ethnic Israel, will be saved. Right. 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 They will be saved. It'll be a group of... They are being saved, right? They are being saved, And right. once they're saved, they're part of our family. Like, we're one. Yeah, we're right? One Jesus body, tore one down the dividing wall. Yeah, yeah. But right now, if they're not saved, what are they? They are a part. They're enemies, they're enemies, enemies of God. Of God. Yeah, they're they're, and they're our enemies. They're enemies of the church. Yeah, true, true. And so... If the church is supporting its enemies, it, I mean, I, I just can't fathom the idea of Paul taking up a collection to send to the high priest. You know what I mean? No. That just doesn't make any sense. Yeah, that dog ain't hunting. Anyway, um, and that's going to bring us to our current event. Current event, which yeah, is going to coincide because we event time because we took so long tonight. We're gonna yeah. we're gonna do two in one. Our current event, along with our long. question to consider. Yes. All right. So here we go. Recently. The United States moved their um, embassy, their embassy yeah. to Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Yeah, made decided to move the capital to Jerusalem, which was right. once Tel Aviv, and, and declare that Jerusalem is the capital, the capital. Yeah. of Israel. Which yeah. dispensationalists are going bananas. They're ecstatic. Going they couldn't be happier. Right, because this is this is the fulfillment of of what they think is the rebuilding of Israel, the promises right. that God made. Right. Um, to, to rebuild the booth of David that has fallen and, and, and restore it yeah. back to its former glory. Um, and so they're, they're happy about this. So that this is our current event. Things are happening. Israel just celebrated its 70th, yeah. the, the, the moving of the embassy. Of the political creation of the state of Israel. Right, coincided with 70th anniversary right. of Israel's political existence since yeah. 1948. And so these are exciting times for dispensationalists. Of course. Stuff is happening in Israel. Yeah. And uh, so... Believing this is the beginning of the end. Exactly. Things are falling into place. That God is actually working. And we we better get ready. But according to dispensationalist theology, John... Okay. The beginning of the rebuilding of Israel began in the year 1948. Yes. And that was the the year that the fig tree began to blossom. Mm. Mm-hmm. Now, 
Jesus said in Matthew 24 that yeah. when the fig tree blossoms, right, these, this will be the sign of all these things beginning to happen. And Jesus says that this generation will not pass away until all these things are accomplished. And so dispensationalists have frequently taught that, that everything, the end of the world will come within one generation of 1948. Well, 1948, John, was... 70 years ago. 70 years ago. As of May May 13th. May, May 14th. 14th. May 14th. As of May 14th. Same day that embassy. So, so 70 years have passed. The generation is over, John. It's over. The generation is over yes. and none of those things came to pass. Yeah. So now we have a lot of questions to ask ourselves. If if the generation started in 1948 and the generation is now over here in 2018, the dispensationalists have to start looking in the mirror and start asking some serious questions. So, and and uh, what's what's the Gary North? Gary, Gary North, North, that's his yeah. name. Gary North Bernard Colony yeah. wrote a great article on this particular subject, and I encourage you to go and read it. Yeah, go check it out. The prophecy what? is now. The prophecy clock has now run out for dispensationalism. The prophecy clock has now run out for dispensationalism. It's on the American Vision webpage, yeah. written by Gary North. Go check, Google that article or whatever search uh, engine you it's use. A, it's a really, really good article. And read that article, and and you'll see what we're talking about. That that they've always claimed that the generation starts in 1948, and now the generation is over, and nothing has happened. Their interpretation has been proven wrong. Dispensationalism has expired. Time to throw it out, John. It's it's expired milk. Um, so that brings us to our question to consider. Jonathan, the moving of the embassy to Jerusalem, the, the declaring of Jerusalem to be the capital of Israel, does that have any spiritual significance for us or for uh, anyone? Based on everything you talked about, no. No, not at all. Like, um, uh, it's just something that happened. It does not have any spiritual significance. Um, it is not fulfillment of prophecy. Uh, it is not something that we should be excited about at all. Um, if we are looking at the Bible with the correct lens, we understand that this means absolutely nothing. Um, and so, if you really want to get technical, other play other countries have made Jerusalem their their uh, capital too. So, right. Right. I mean, so does that mean that you know all all the stars are aligning? <laughs> no. So uh, it it doesn't have any um, any um, significance whatsoever. Um, and I mean, you have to go back to that article, man. Like if if this is not adding up, a whole generation's passed away. Generation's over. So what what are we? You know, what is prophecy not fulfilled or or what? You know. Right. Right. So. I mean, I agree with you completely, of course, that, you know, even if everyone were to recognize Jerusalem as the capital of Israel, the spiritual significance that that would have is zero. Zero. Zero spiritual significance at all. Because God is not seeking to rebuild a political nation. God is seeking to build a spiritual nation. Right. And so when dispensationalists read promises about the kingdom, they they look forward to, this is speaking about Israel. Right. When I read promises about the kingdom of God, what did Jesus say? The kingdom is what? Among you and in you. Yeah. yeah. That, that, that we are the kingdom of God. That the kingdom of God is...
is here and now. Jesus is reigning in heaven now. Jesus is the King of kings and Lord of lords and ruling over all things now. And so when when we consider Jesus's kingdom, it's Jesus's kingdom is advancing, it's going forth, it's it's knocking down the gates of hell, and and Jesus is reigning in countries all over this earth in his church, which is his kingdom, which is his people, right? So we, we, we don't want to say, to divide the people of God up into two and say, well, we're one of God's people and then Israel is another of God's people mm-hmm. and their, their kingdom is coming later. No, there's only one kingdom. And it's not a kingdom, their kingdom that's coming later. We are the kingdom of God. We're, we're part of the kingdom of God as God is creating it and advancing it. And, and as the Bible puts it in language of adding brick upon brick to build his temple made of people. So, First Peter 2. Um, Ephesians 2. Yeah, Ephesians 2. Yeah, Ephesians 2.20. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, super important to know. Um, encourage you to see it from that particular lens that the new interprets the old. That's right. You want to right. these problems. And it don't matter what happens in the nation of Israel. Yeah. Because they're not even living according to the law that God gave them. They're they're more secular than the United States is. Their their homosexuality is the the, the largest homosexual event in the world takes place in Jerusalem. Abortion in Israel is the same as it is here. Um, I mean, if, if you take someone who most dispensationalists did not like, President Obama, because he was so liberal and godless, and, and you then compare President Obama to Israel, Israel's worse. Like, Israel's more liberal. Israel's more godless. And yet, whereas they would decry someone like President Obama, they're like supporting people who are worse than him. And it just doesn't it just doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it just goes to show, like Paul said, that that ethnic Israel needs the gospel. And it is super important that we pray that the Lord would lift up people to go out and to evangelize those, or that God would send people from here to there to evangelize those um, who do not know him so that they can be a part of his body. Um, the gospel is super important because it's all about Jesus. Amen, absolutely. And remember what Jesus said to the Jews who asked him when he said, if you, if Abraham were your father, you would, you would be doing the works of Abraham, yeah. which is listening to yeah. me. But you don't believe me because why? Because Abraham's not your father, Jesus says. Jesus says your father is the devil. Is the devil. And, and here they were saying, our father's Abraham. And Jesus says, no, he's not. He's not Abraham. Yeah. So not, not all Jews are children of Abraham. In fact, if not they're... Not all Israel is Israel. Not all Israel is Israel, right? Yeah. If you don't believe in Jesus, guess what? You're not a child of Abraham. What does Galatians say? If you believe in Jesus, you are the offspring of Abraham. The offspring of Abraham. All right. So that, I think that's going to wrap y'all. it up. Wrap it up Thank for us. Thank y'all for your patience. We appreciate y'all. Um, 
pray for us as we continue on this journey and hope that we can help the church at large. Absolutely. Pray for us. We're looking at, at, at getting better. This is our second episode. Yeah. We're, we're yes, working at, at improving. We're still rookies yeah. at this, but we hopefully will be able to, to be able to provide a show that uh, is high quality, both in, you know, format and audio and accessibility and also uh, in content. And yes. quality. So we yes, we want to we want to be able to be a blessing to God's church. Indeed, God's no one people. I'm sorry, I had to throw that. It just, you just you know, God's no, one people. You had to All toss right. it out there. Huh? I had to. Oh man, come on. All right, and uh, hopefully next time we'll be joined by Thomas Shit. Go, please the pray razor. pray for him and his yeah. family. Is yeah. uh, he's uh, has received his first. Child. child, and if you, if you listen to the first show, you I don't know. I don't remember what what Tom. How old is Tom? Forty seven. He's forty seven years old and just had his first child, so he needs extra prayer. Yes, extra he's, prayer. Yeah, he's anyway. Yeah, he's fifty three years younger than Abraham was when he had his first child. I just want to throw that out there. All right, all right, and look at you doing math too. I mean, you got you got to do the math. You know what I mean? <laughs> It's too late for me to be doing math right now. I can barely do math when I'm awake. Oh. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for That's listening. That's it, y'all. God bless you guys, and thank you for listening to Now Consider This.